The following is my conversation with Adam Argyle, who is CSS Developer Advocate for Google Chrome. The conversation covers quite a few topics that are relevant in the web dev and web design industries, UI complexity cliffs, developer experience versus user experience, which we call DX versus UX, self-destruction, and what web design tooling could be. Along the way, we touch on what OpenUI is, Adam's deferred inputs proposal, the four jobs of developer experience, thought leading for good, or thought leading for fun and profit, from Emily Freeman, Elia Grigoric, and Dion Meyer, who inspire each of us individually, and Adobe versus Figma versus Webflow. I hope you enjoy these long-form conversations that I have with amazing developers. I haven't been as regular as I would like, but I'm investing into YouTube in 2022 and I'm keen on producing more high-quality conversations. If you like this, share it with a friend. If you have requests for other guests, tag them on social media. I'd like to basically make this a space where passionate builders and doers can talk about their craft and where things are going. All right, so the first thing we're talking about is UI complexity cliffs. Um, what's on your mind? Why is this first on your, on, on your list? Yeah, you had a tweet the other day that was, um, I'm at my fourth startup or something like this, and we're discussing yes. buttons again. Like, how is it 2021 and buttons oh are popping up as needing refactored or something? Like, how are they not solved? And um, I'm sure you had threads of people that have their ideas there. And mine was, it's a complexity cliff. It's the first introduction where you as a front-end UI person who actually is like going to go build out all of this matrix of states that a button needs that it lands on you. It's like, you've been in the car using a shifter this whole time, using a steering wheel this whole time. And then someone said, Hey, go change the steering wheel out. And you're like, Oh, that's just a component. It's just a single use. Like that thing is totally only got like one attachment. Right. And then you walk up to it and you start working on it. And you're like, this thing is like really integrated into the system and or whatever, right? You have these like discovery moments with it and you realize it's much more complex than it is. And a button just does that. A button's like, yeah, well, let's allow an icon to be on our button. And you're like, okay, left and right. Yeah, how about both sides? Can the icon have both sides? Because you could have a shopping cart with a little drop down arrow. Oh man, okay. And you have to have dark mode. You better have this and that. And the, the matrix, like I was saying, of states, is what I mean by this complexity cliff. Like it's just not visible from the surface. It looks all innocent. Um, and then you go map it. Like if you mapped out everything you need, it's it's a lot. Like the CSS alone that it takes to have like a custom button in a design system is absurd. It's absurd. But at the same time, I love it. Uh, and anyway. <laughs> so this is the tweet in question. Um, and honestly, like this is, this is genuine because uh, yeah, I had it at, uh, to Sigma, where I, where I had my first uh, front-end job, and then Netlify, and now at Temporal, same stuff again. And, uh, oh, did you handle disabled? Oh, is it a link or is it a button? Um, and what's interesting was also just the replies, like uh, Nicole from Google. So uh, what does she do? She like needs the, I the work frameworks? with her directly these days. Oh, okay. She was on frameworks, and she's now shifted to um, UI and sort of like, how does she empower people to build flexible and fluid interfaces on the web? And that's why she points to OpenUI. And this is like a community for that. But anyway, that, I'm part of her team because I'm huh. I I work on similar things. Okay, yeah, and so like you know, first of all, I, I didn't I didn't expect this to reach uh, anyone at Google, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but then also <laughs> like the the uh, web components people reached out to me and they're like, how come web components haven't solved this for you? And I'm like, it's not about the tech. Um, <laughs> it's more about like understanding 
the specs of what people want and people not agreeing what a button should do. Yeah, yeah. Google <laughs> Cloud had had oh, too many. They had them in multiple frameworks in the same repo, right? Being like, just because they grew so fast or whatever, like your project always gets out of hand. And all of a sudden, yeah, you have more than one button, which some people have enough time wrangling one. How are they going to wrangle two or three built in different frameworks, right? You get your islands architecture with buttons. You're just like, oh, snap. Does that just mean any button from any framework just shows up in an island? I don't know. Um, That's an interesting discussion. Is, is that a big, uh, is the islands architecture a big discussion within Google? Or Because I, I always have hard, I have trouble separating Jason from, Jason Miller, who wrote the islands architecture blog yeah. post. When is he talking in his own personal capacity? Or when is he saying like, no, this is something we're, we're thinking about at Google? Oh, in my opinion, Jason and I are pretty straight shooters about our own stuff. Like we work for Google and Chrome and we love our job and we want to represent Chrome well and um, do all the things our job wants us to do. But we have this like, I, I don't know, our own personal opinion. Like Jake Archibald does this too. He He's yeah. working on a lot of his own stuff. We kind of balance both. I mean, Jason definitely does things internally that he might not have chosen to go do if he just could choose whatever he wants to do. But that doesn't mean that's what he's going to go pitch outside of Google. And the islands architecture is, yeah, this is just sort of the micro front ends evolution into let's eventually dockerize every component and then manage them with Kubernetes in the front end, right? We'll get there. I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so the this discussion of the reusable button and the UI complexity cliff makes me wonder yeah. because there's a lot of discussion about how dry is overrated. You know, um, we should we should write everything twice. And sometimes, if you're just customizing it so often and you're reusing it so much, maybe just don't reuse code. Just just copy and paste, and and then that makes it easy to delete, easy to modify. Uh, the only thing that that goes wrong with that is whenever you need to do a global update. Um, then you'd run into trouble. But how often do you really need to do that? Right. Isn't that what the super rad TypeScript refactor button is for? Like that's why you typed your whole thing so that you could refactor across something globally. I mean, this is a value prop of TypeScript, right? Um, if you are, you know, employing it that way on your project. But um, yeah, I think that's a really good point though, is that sometimes you don't need to build a mega button. Yeah. Yeah. Mega buttons get built and then mega buttons fall down. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wonder if it's like, uh, if it should be gated by a number of people working on the project. So we had at my first company, um, three front end developers and we were building both the design system and the app. And I was just like, maybe we should just build the app and forget the design system. <laughs> Okay, this is actually something I've said multiple times is that um, <laughs> projects and people are in phases. A startup is in a phase. And in your first phase where you're in the creation state, you should not be in TypeScript. You should not be hardening all of your stuff with 100% test coverage. And you should be not be making a design system. What you need to do is build a really good experience that's messy and expressive and yeah. then go harden all the things that are tried and true because you can't predict it all. And if you try to sit down and predict it all and and build this like perfect thing from the start, you're just never going to get to the point at which it should have as fast as you can. It's weird. We think we move faster with all of these rules and all this stuff, but we end up moving way slower. And so, yeah, yeah I'd say phase two of your company, let's say you have success and you're sustainable and it's time to like rethink something because you need to grow the team by 10 or 50 or whatever. 
go ahead and spend a few months and and refactor and harden and create the components that are obvious. Like, and don't go micromanage your design system. Oh, okay, wait, I'm getting ramped up. Sorry. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> no, I think look, like you have this. Uh, I've seen you do this rant a couple times. Um, I think you need to slap a fancy label on it and then put it put it into a nice graphic and go like, this is the way that you should do things. Because uh, have you seen um, Emily Freeman um, at AWS? Um, she did, she basically had some issues with the software, the traditional software development lifecycle, where it's like a very waterfall approach. And so she reshaped it into like a, uh, like a circular concentric circle grid with, with six dimensions. And it made a lot of sense for some people, um, but that at least encoded her opinion and she could give it a name. And, and she, she said like, this is the way you do things now. And, and she had a whole spiel on it, but like, Sometimes it's better to sell an idea or like a workflow if you give it a name and you put some, put some diagrams on it and make it a thing rather mm -hmm. than uh, repeating the rant every time. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, this is the phases rant you're mentioning. Like yeah, mm -hmm. phase the phases one, rant. Do, be, you, yeah, uh, catchy acronym or like you know what whatever. Um, and and yeah, I mean you know, see, Islands Architecture was a catchy catchy name for it. You know, um, sure was. So yeah, people or could what visualize was the, the cool name he had for? Um, Oh, holotypes, right? It was holotypes. Holotypes. Sure. I never Holot heard that word before. Oh, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what that's what Jason called it in an article. He was, oh no, he was saying your app is one of these holotypes. And if you were of yeah. a certain holotype, it could lead well to, you know, um, an islands architecture or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Very good. So basically, this is like uh, part of my long running study on how the thought lead or thought leading for front end profit. You know, there's like sort of uh, the cynical thought leading, which is like, hey, I want you to buy my ebook. Um, but then there, you can also thought lead for, for benefit. If like you really have a cause that you just really want to align people on, um, you have yeah. to package it in a message that, it, that people can spread for you instead of you having to do all the work. Totally. Yeah, I think you're doing a good job with that, being a thought leader, by the way. I very much enjoy your thoughts. <laughs> I don't know what I'm leading people to. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what's fun is you're on an exploration, constantly digging and going through yeah. all these archives and you're just kind of shooting it out as it happens. And honestly, that's kind of all I do with my CSS tips. I'm building stuff every oh, day, almost it. all day. And so I'm like, yeah. here's it. I just did this thing. This is cool. I think anyway, maybe yeah. someone else will. And I will say like um, the thing about CSS, like no one ever feels like they know all of it. Um, do you think that's a problem? No, I think that's how every language feels. So I've been trying to uh, push back on this a little because I think being able to say this is the entire map, like, okay, you know, there is a spec, right? And it, yes, it's not an yeah. infinite list, it's a finite list. And you can, you can at least kind of draw out, like, here's the world map. You will never visit the entire world, but at least you know, like, okay, here's a continent here, there's a continent there. Um, I, I haven't gone there yet, but it's there when I need it. Um, at least like having boundaries around like, okay, the world ends, ends here. And um, I think that that's an interesting way to think about like learning or evangelizing something. And this is uh, relevant for me because at, at my job, uh, we have a fairly complex system and no one had ever enumerated the features until I went through and just went like, okay, we have 30 features. And once you know these 30 features, that's about it for the system. And being able to say, yes, that's yeah. it. And, and, and having an end to your learning, I think it's a really interesting concept to have. 
Yeah, docs kind of give you that sense, right? You land on docs and you're like, I have the world in my hands. Every API call <laughs> and every function is articulated here with every parameter. Um, yeah, and I definitely see where you're going. I think that can help someone um, get perspective of the language that they're jumping into. But there's like surprises, right? Like you learned yeah. JavaScript for uh, who cares how long. And then all of a sudden someone goes, you heard of functional programming, yo? And then you're <laughs> like, what? And then you go look at it. You're like, what are you doing with JavaScript? And then it no, just stops your brain into infinity, right? And then like TypeScript's the same way. You're like, I thought I was like, I liked or knew like JavaScript. And, and TypeScript just tells me all day that I have no idea what I know. And, you know, like... Um, yeah. I, CSS is the same way. I've been studying and building things in it for a long time. And I, I'd also, I'm a human, you know, some of these things are so big that I can't memorize every map and territory. So I revisit. Mm. And so I think what happens uh, with experience is that, um, you know, like, okay, every programming language has a moment where you're banging your head against it, you know, whether it's Flexbox or it's, um, you know, some extends in TypeScript or something that's extending, extend, extend, and you're just like lost in the extension world. Like in these scenarios, you eventually emerge, right? You bust out and your head comes popping out and you get a breath of air and you're like, I have defeated it. Like, and what I think professional developers are, they're just seasoned at defeating all the little things in so much that they're now in a perspective where they A, expect things to pop up that they're not going to know, but B, they've, if they run into things that they run into before, they don't have that same hour or four hours or two days that it takes to solve it. They just walk right over it because they're like, oh, that was in that territory over here. I remember like two years ago when I had to go there, like I'll just go there. I don't remember everything about it, but I'll go read it and study it and be like, oh yeah, that was it. Okay. And I'll put that back in. This happens like every time I use intersection observer, I'm like, I know intersection observer. And then I'm like, I don't remember this syntax. <laughs> I got to go look it up. Um, it's so yeah. funky. Um, it's, anyway. Yeah. And basically I just want to copy and paste intersection observer code and just give me like the three or four design patterns that, that work. And that's about it. That's that's all people want out of an intersection observer. I mean, I think people want the matrix. I think they want to stick a thing in the back of their neck and just be like, CSS, I know it. I will now command every mm -hmm. box in the way that I've ever desired. You know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Briefly, though, before we get off of complexity cliffs, um, one yeah. of the first components that reminded me of complexity cliffs was the tabs component. Um, and okay. we've been talking a lot that so we talked about Nicole already. And so one of the things we're trying to do is make tabs on the web easier. And in yeah. my studies, um, I have found that it's a massive complexity cliff. Like there's a hundred variants of what tabs are more than that. Over the years, we've seen thousands of variants of tabs and they all have little niche features. Some little niche features make tabs feel like a carousel. Some tabs kind of feel like an accordion. Some tabs feel like those paper tabs you had in a binder. And they all have this like little thing and they all have different accessibility implications. And usually um, that, that's like the deciding factor, at least at like open UI. They're like, okay, here's what tabs are. Tabs are basically this accessibility UX as a foundation, like the skeleton of the thing works like this. But I go look in the wild and I see all of these different tabs and I'm excited by it. And it kind of frustrates other people because they want to go harden the pattern. Right. This is what um, the button is trying to do. It's like harden a pattern. And so people want to harden these patterns. They, they look so obvious to harden. And then I go research and I basically call them caratabs now. I'm like, oh, tabacells, you mean? Oh, caratabs. You're like, no, tabs. I'm like, caratabs. <laughs> um, because the um, variations 
are so fun and exciting. And I actually think that's what the web is excelling at is this weirdness is that, um, anyway, so, but the complexity cliff is very clear in tabs where there is really no single way to build one that would fulfill every tabs component need that's out there. Um, like a lot of tabs have nothing to do with swiping. When I think that's mandatory on like mobile, you got to be able to swipe between tabs. We've been trained that way for like five years, um, but they would disagree like the um, open UI organization because that's just not part of the, the flow. Anyway, so what I'm getting at is these complexity cliffs make it really hard to harden things. And um, I'm at a point where I'm trying to study which ones are on which side of the cliff, Sean. That's what I want to know. Uh, because the ones that are on the side that it just goes steep downhill, I think it's okay to let those be free. Ship primitives and let people be weird. Let people build all these fun, different, exciting tabs. Like I don't, I, I'm not that interested in that. But uh, we could move into deferred inputs if you want, as that's that next topic. I have yeah, yeah. two things to ask you before you do this. So one, yeah. um, you, you seem to have an image in your head about complexity cliffs. Have you visualized this? Because I feel like it's an analogy that is right for visualization. No, I mean, it'd be an iceberg. You're looking at a button and it looks like a simple okay. button on top. And then you look under the water and you're like, holy, right. this thing has like request animation frame loops in it or something. You're like, I just did not predict that. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I think some visuals would be nice to, for people to really instantly get it. Um, and then yeah. secondly, could you introduce, uh, for those who would like, I've, I've dug around OpenUI. It seems like um, basically it tries to be a browser, a vendor agnostic, spec of here's how here's extensions to standard html how, yes. how, about, how about you do how about you help me define like what is open ui um who runs it uh what is the near term like should people pay attention to this now is this just an r d phase like what what's uh what phase is it is it in? sure yeah and you know you should have yuna on because she's a member of the open ui uh sure. cabinet i have no idea anyway it's a community group it operates like a community group um, it's led by, I think, Greg Whitworth, um, maybe Brian Cardell also, um, oh. uh, Dave Rupert is on it also. He does a lot of presentations. Dave Rupert is a, he's pro tabs, uh, not pro tab -acel. He has a spicy accordion that he's made that is basically tabs, but it's, a, it's not tabs. It's a spicy accordion anyway. Okay. <laughs> so that's the sort of things that sometimes get talked about at OpenUI, but their goal is to, um, move faster as an agnostic implementation team. Um, than what browsers would do and how can they operate like how the community groups do for CSS, but do it for components. And so they have one that's like a recent success, um, I think, and it's taken a long time to get there, which is the popover component. Have you heard about the popover component? No, but I can pull it up. You can tell me about it. Awesome. It's it's, it's classic. You mouse or you focus into a link and you get a pop-up, right? Is it, is it this one? The pop. Yeah. And so this took a long time to um, get through. It has tons of, you can see that they are very, uh, oh, look, it's an editor's draft. Oh, they have three in editor's draft. Interesting. So the select element is also there. I know they've been working on that one. So something that's a stylable select. And I bet you that uh, depended on the pop-up. Um, anyway, so I'm not a super pro here about um, how they operate, but I do know that their goals are to make um, accessible, well-defined, open source, community group driven web com components. I think they're web components. Um, and yeah, and eventually I think their goal is to have those things accepted into browser specs and have browsers implement them natively maybe. I'm not really sure where that goes from there. Oh, look, you can see Mason Freed on there for pop-up. 
Um, he's the Googler who's doing a lot of the implementation and he's on the um, group there too. Melanie Richards, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's got a great crew of cats that are like hacking on it. Um, they, they're diligent. They seem passionate. Um, I'm not a member um, because I'm kind of, I don't know if we need more primitives. <laughs> it's a hot Sean, take. Sean, I want to, it is a hot take. And I've talked to Brian and a couple other people about it, but like, like I'm actually, um, so this is why deferred inputs is an interesting conversation. Let's go I'd like that, to swing yeah. for the fences. I'd like to swing a lot bigger. Okay. So for example, let's say, um, open UI or someone else and open UI. I seriously, I admire them so much. I think they're, it's a really important and impressive thing that they're doing. So I think I'm also just intimidated, but anyway, um, what I would like to suggest is, okay, consider the calendar. So maybe a calendar component gets, you know, standardized so you could customize it and you don't just get the 20 year old dinky one that's in your browser right now. Right. <laughs> I hate that one. It drives me nuts. I'm like, geez, Louise, there's no one here. Well, that has any there's UI one that's worse than that. It's the number, number input, you know, with the small tiny arrows. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Who Seriously. Wrote that? I don't know, someone on a netbook with like one of those mini mouses or something. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So imagine this, Sean, this is my crazy idea called deferred inputs. You put an input in there, type equals date, and you put an attribute called deferred on it. And what the browser does when the user taps that input is they broker a relationship between that web page and a third party widget and a third party experience. Because what I want when I click on a calendar widget is not just a stupid calendar, Sean. I want my events on there. I want to know if what I'm picking is going to interrupt with something. If I'm booking dinner, I need to know all of these different cases. I want to know my stuff in there, but I don't want the web page to know anything about it. So imagine for a second that we went to the app store on Mac OS and we installed um, a calendar component called Google Calendar. Who cares? Or maybe it's iCal, right? iCal makes sense for Safari to prompt. So you get these deferred inputs where the broker sends the request to this app and says, this user is requesting a date. All we want is a string formatted like this. Give them an experience that's rich and set and has a session and you're logged into um, and let them pick a date and then we'll just get the date back. So the date input is still just a static text input, but it the browser brokered a relationship to third-party um, developers who can create specific and robust experiences for these inputs. So I'm not talking, we just, you know, as a group come up with a cool date picker that people can pass custom properties to to style it. I think that's a great stopgap, but I'd love to see us like make a rich, ex dude, picking a date is a rich experience moment. It's something that people can excel at and show you how beautiful it is. Like imagine Sunrise, like that app that made the calendar thing that just like disrupted mm -hmm. everyone all the time. They made one. And then imagine someone else. Now you had choices, Sean, you had choices for your date input as a user. That's what I want to see. I want to see users having the ability and I want developers to be able to compete for the uh, creation of those widget experiences. I think browsers have been sitting on it and it drives me nuts. They're crappy and it looks like they don't care. So just open it up. Just broker the relationship to a bunch of other developers that want to get a $2 component so that you can have a session logged in calendar picker. Like, and anyway, so a lot of these inputs that are, a lot of these components that we're waiting for that are more robust, that we need more out of like some of our primitives. I'm like, don't just give us some new crappy primitive that looks like crap. We, I just, I'm tired of those. Like give us an opportunity and, and open up the, uh, open up the industry to a new monetization flow. Like you're basically creating third party develop anyway, whatever, Sean, I think I've pitched it enough. What, what do you think? Is that crazy? So I need to clarify one more thing. Uh, so first of all, have yeah. you written this up anywhere? This is, is in this... slides. I have like a little presentation. I've given it to people. It's just, um, it's pretty can I, can we find yeah. it somewhere? 
uh, just just so people can follow up if they want. I think I could. Open, it's just a random idea. I have so I assume I could open. I mean, it, I, you know. I if you know if you, you you believe in this. So what this this kind of conversation always reminds me of the cathedral versus the bazaar. You know that nice that uh, Fred Brooks. This is the, this is old school software development, right? Like, how do you design an ecosystem? Do you want do you want to say like I do it for you because I know best, or do you want to say I don't know best and let everyone just have it out? Um, and so OpenUI is kind of the cathedral, and they're like, okay, we'll research everything, and then we'll, we'll we'll pick the best way that is the superset of everything. And then the bazaar is kind of like this deferred input approach, where it's just like I don't know, and I'll just give you a single extension point, and you guys go nuts. Yep, that's exactly what it's. Uh, and yeah, it'd basically just be a um, what did I call them? Because um, they have them in Android. It's an intent. The input basically an emits an intent, and it says who can handle the intent, right? And all these developers <clears throat> now have apps living on your operating system that the browser can broker the intent with, and says it's just like how intents. It's actually extremely modeled after the the mobile experience of intents, because I love that experience. It's really nice. You're just like, yeah, look at all my fun custom stuff I have that can handle where my image goes. Like that's really nice. Um, and yeah, we should yeah. have a color picker like that. Like, give me the opportunity to click on a color input, and I bring my own color picker to the table. Chrome, you know, so, like, I don't yeah, like yeah. yours. I is this, bring yeah. anyway. is this the user? So there's a few personas here. Yeah, the there's user, the yeah. app developer and then the, the user viewing the site. So each viewer has like their own experience of this thing. Okay. They could that, bring like me, a utility built of personalized widgets in their browser. So anywhere their browser is logged in and they- How many of these are there? So. I mean, apart from calendar. I've labeled a few here. Um, yeah, show Calendar, us. autofill, payment, photo picker, and file picker. Oh, photo picker and file picker are already done is what this says in my deck. I haven't looked at my deck in like a year. Because, um, yeah, if you think about photo picker, um, well, I guess on mobile, it's deferred. But on desktop, it's not, right? On mobile, when you click on a file uploader or you click on something that allows you to upload, you get to fulfill it with your own choice of an app. Your phone, your personal stuff uh -huh. just needs to return an image, right? And then the browser mm -hmm. doesn't have to know to care about the whole experience that it took you to find it because you went back three years on June 24th to find the hamburger that you were looking for, right? Like, anyway, yeah. So uh, autofill would be an awesome one and payment. Like, why can't I just install a third-party payment installation thing? And when I so, click on pay, yeah, it invokes my own experience. Uh, well, what about security? Like, if it's a third-party widget and it's payment, like I'm giving you my card details. User installed it. And so they're hopefully they're trusting what they installed and the, the page itself is only getting results back. So it's like the same static results they would have got before. So the page doesn't get to know anything about the third party experience. There's like a very, it's just okay. a message that's going to get passed back and forth. Yeah. And do you think, so uh, one example of this that is done in user land is essentially password managers. Um, like, yeah. a, right. They, they override all the password fields and then they, they give in their own little things. Why can't it just be done like that? Oh, so like an extension model? Sounds good to me. So yeah, you could, as a developer, go build a whole bunch of really awesome you know, extensions built on the extension version 3 manifest and deploy them across all the browsers and deliver a unique logged in um, experience for color picking. And sure, yeah, maybe you could intercept those clicks and invoke your own overlay UI. That actually makes sense to me. OK, got it. I, so it sounds like you know, of those things that you listed, those are inputs. Um, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of components that are not inputs. And uh, I guess OpenUI would be 
involved yeah, there. Yeah, like tabs, carousels, yeah. popovers. Yeah. yeah. So you're not in conf con conflicts. Um, you know, I don't you think just, so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And both can coexist. They could create a new date picker and that should be the default. We need better date pickers. So, or we need better <laughs> default components anyway. So yeah, I'm like, I, I, this isn't me trying to stomp them. It's like, I just think there's a whole opportunity yeah. to, for competition. Like, yeah. And it could be cool. Yeah. Uh, one, one last thing that comes up when, uh, when you, whenever you talk about image pickers, um, did you ever see that talk by Ilya Grigoric about um, the image picker up like file up size optimizer? I don't think so. Tell me all about it. So he had a fantastic talk, which like really shaped the way I, I think about. So, okay. Uh, oh God. I, I'm okay. Give me a sec to pull this up. Okay. Uh, Cause yeah, no I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this justice unless I literally have it up. Goric. Um, what is his Twitter handle? He's not super active on Twitter. Uh, um, I think it's Ilya. Some. I Gregoric. Oh, I was wrong. <laughs> sorry okay all right um all right here we go so uh this is where this is where i shouted it out um he had this concept of the the head the torso and the tail um and it was like how do we solve um how do we solve image performance forever right like you can do some fancy stuff with like your image optimizing CDN, you can do all these like source set things. No one's gonna do it. It just, it's too complex. Like, yeah, it's cool. And you should feel bad if you don't do it right. But also there's just too much to learn. Serving images is very hard. Yeah, it's super right? hard. So yeah. like he was, he fantastically broke it down to like, okay. So he's, he's at this performance.now conference, right? And he said, um, uh, okay, yeah. Here we go. I like I just I just love how clearly he stated this. If you want to solve the image problem once and for all, the cost should be free, the number of choices should be zero, the tools must do the work, not require work. Right now, the tools that we're being given require more work. Hey, the default sucks, but just to be backward compatible, here's a source set thing with like five different options. And hey, you got to do image processing on your own. Good luck. Um, that requires work, so people don't do it. Right. So the kind of person that goes to a performance.now conference that watches performance videos in their free time, that is what he calls the head. Um, uh, the, I'm, not, I'm not finding the right slide, but essentially like there's, a, there's an adoption curve, right? There's, there's the really like performance oriented, performance minded people who are going to adopt all the best practices. They're gonna listen to your talks. They're gonna read your blog posts. Then the, the torso, they're like, they're just you know, following whatever the, the the, the body says and then and then there's a long tail that just will never read anything it will just do whatever this is easiest so you, so if you want real impact you have to address the torso and the and the tail not just the head because the head um has the time to list to learn all your stuff but that's not the problem the problem is the rest of like everyone else um sorry i I'm, i don't think i'm like doing doing the doing a good job of no i don't think i'm following yeah so so his proposal by the end of his talk uh, and this is like in 2019, was that, okay, all right, uh, image optimizing CDN, too complicated, source set, too complicated. Um, never, just never upload a, a giant file that you never, a giant photo that you never need. So he was like, let's introduce an image uploader component that has image optimization built into that, that point of upload. 
So all points down the chain just never get there. <laughs> I, nice. I I thought that was like the the spe- I thought that was where you were going. I don't know if you talked to him before about this. Yeah. Okay. I have not. Um, but that um, kind of reminds me of Ink Ink Uploader, which I used I don't know five years ago or so. It was kind of like an early ImageX server. But yeah, you'd upload the biggest image you had and then request it with one URL. Um, and maybe some parameters on the URL, and you get you could get a whole dynamic set of images back. Yeah, so yeah. you only had to deal with the one image tag, and yeah, yeah, that's well, good that's, stuff. I that's think an, that's the way forward, mostly. Yeah, that's an image optimizing CDN. Um, so you have yeah. to pay money for that, um, and of course, like you know, that that, that costs some engineering and resources. Um, so he wanted to go a little bit more than that. I don't know how practical it was, but it was very convincing at the time. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I hope he. I, I don't know if he's still like. Google or not, but uh, you know, I, I hope he, is, he, yeah. he gets some sway in the design of this thing. Nice. Yeah. I like that uh, analogy though. I think that works really good. <clears throat> which is, yeah, I mean, it's, which is, uh, so in the broader context of dev developer tools and like designing for UX versus DX, which is our next topic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think about this a lot, which is that whenever we appear at conferences and we like drop a new blog post, a new feature, and we just expect people to like know about it and learn about it and adopt it like within a year, otherwise it's their fault, not yours. And I'm just like, no, people don't have time. (laughs) Most people just want to know like what the best practice is. They'll go do that. And then they'll they'll move on with their day. Um, And that's about all the time that they have for you. Um, and, and, and so if we want to you know, improve user experience, like we have to make it basically brainless for, for people to adopt um, the best practice. Yeah, so we can, yeah, do you want to start there? Like yeah. that's sort yeah. of the, the goal of the phrase or like that's like the, uh, the, the heartfelt, meaningful, good side of the phrase that DX can lead to good UX is the intent is there which is that people want to deliver good UX and they're not wrong that good DX can deliver a portion or maybe a lot of UX. Um, But I think that the phrase is kind of not doing itself a favor. Um, Like it's, it's kind of a short-sighted view of what DX is versus a short-sighted view of UX. And I'm like, I don't even know why we're, so, okay, so first off, let's just say that th- to have DX that even could facilitate good UX, someone had to teach the DX what good UX was. Like UX had to start it in order, like be the initial cause for DX to exist that it was knowledgeable to give you good UX. So I'm like, wow, well, does people think that DX just magically gives good UX? It had to be written by somebody. Like the good UX was created and someone spent valuable time thinking about good UX in order to bake it into something that could be shared better that then helped facilitate a workflow, which is just like how like a bakery would work, right? You just got like, okay, we've got all these processes, they're working like this. Um, and now we're gonna always use this flour instead of have random flowers. And we're always gonna use this scoop or something like that. And you just start to like harden these things over time so that when new people join, they don't have to go learn. There's three scoops, there's just one scoop now to choose from. Um, and every time those decisions get made, like they're made in a good faith of, I guess like the bakers are trying to make more, uh, you know, muffins or something for everybody. Like the UX is eating a muffin. Um, okay. The, uh, 
essentially you can overdo it just like in a design system you can overdo it so where eventually maybe you make a factory maybe you've got you know this happens all the time in code we build tons of factories to stamp out web pages to stamp this out to stamp we love our automation and sometimes automation um, all it does is harden one good ux choice and it might make subsequent ux choices harder um, in any way so okay so then here i want to go back to like the like DX is so much more than providing good UX. Like there's so much more to it. Like you can have an entire day's worth of DX that never touches UX and that should be fine. Like you should be happy with that because what you're trying to do is empower everyone after you um, or whatever it is. Like I think it's valuable time. So basically I think it's short-sighting DX to think that it, it can only be valuable if it's affecting UX. I don't think that even needs to, wow. anyway. And then, um, right. I think DX is like, you could do anyway. So DX can be entirely in a whole other sector of the organization and never change the UX. And I don't think that's bad. I think sometimes it can inconsequently change UX and that's awesome. Sometimes it can intentionally do it. You know, maybe data, the data center team over here, they switched to a different cluster system and now they're, you know, shaved 50 milliseconds off a request or whatever. You're like, cool. The user might feel that or whatever. Um, but then also UX, it's short-sighting what UX is. If you've ever met a UX designer, the, to them, the user experience isn't how fast the milliseconds went down the wire, even though this is part of the user experience is how fast you got it to them. They spend weeks and months researching users to make informed decisions about UX. So to think that DX can just magically have all of that, I mean, unless the designers are baking and they're the ones creating the DX, maybe DX is directly affecting UX. But really, I think UX starts with research. It doesn't start with good DX. You have to, you have to know what good UX is, spend time on it, and actually create it before you can then go harden it and make it like repeatable and, and shareable or whatever it is. And also, UX is just so much more than that moment the button downloaded and you pressed it. So it's like belittling the whole concept of UX and DX at the same time, making a comparison <laughs> that doesn't even really matter. Like, here's another thing, dude, is you can have the worst DX in the world. Let's say you can only SSH into this one server. You have no tools. You're just with Vim and it's like an insane React project. You don't even have Webpack. You have to go edit the output of a bundle. Let's say that. Who knows? Dude, a determined UX person will do whatever it takes to make the UX good. They'll go hack that code. It doesn't matter. The DX won't matter. What matters is the desire that someone had. And you know, conversely, uh, you could have like the best DX in the entire world and deliver a button that says fart. <laughs> because the text in a button, bro, is part of UX, man. There's UX writers. That's all they do is provide text. So maybe if your DX or your button was so rad that you could like init button and then you drop it in and it has a whole suggestion of UX written content in it, like... I don't think you're really getting the full-fledged <laughs> delivery of UX because it's so contextual, it's so subjective, it's so human that all you get from DX in terms of UX is anything that's on Rails. And anything you get from DX that can lead to good UX usually can because good UX sourced into the DX that then changed the UX. So I just don't, it's just like, I'm like, I'm not sure what everyone's trying to say other than I think, you know, which is, I said at the beginning, I'm like, I see the initial goal here, which is like, hey, if you have um, really great tools, it can make it easier to slice some bread and put butter on it. And then now you have sliced butter way faster. 
you know, like look at us and we made a process for it. And now we can do 10 breads and 10 butters in a parallel, right? We're Gatsby and now we're doing parallel bread, uh, butter <laughs> stuff, right? Until the designer says, oh, we're not using uh, butter or do we need new butter and peanut butter? And everyone's like, oh, we made a factory for that last process. And you're like, dude, users want peanut butter now too. So sorry, <laughs> you're going to have to update all the DX to match the new UX. So that's kind of what I see. I, I think it's almost like UX is equal to DX, which could trickle down to UX again, um, or at least that's the intent. And so I just don't know yeah. why we don't talk about the full cycle. And I don't know why we want to belittle the two concepts. Like UX is more than just developers building buttons and forms and flows and stuff like that. There's a whole team of UX designers uh, that they are literally fighting your company to have good UX. And I just, that's why I think a lot of designers don't retweet that DX is better than UX or that DX will lead to good UX. Designers just know that they're at the table every day arguing with somebody that they need to refactor this because it's not good user experience. And the person over there is going, oh, I see all your research and I see you did user studies. I just can't allocate the resources. And meanwhile, they've got a team of 10 people increasing the DX of the backend system over here, right? And they're just not funding the UX. So anyway, I can just see like all these different sides to it. And I'm, I'm just not, it just doesn't do anyone to favor. It's not doing DX a favor. Like it's not, yeah. it, if anything, it kind of like makes DX look like the hero too. I think that's my biggest issue with it. It makes DX look like it's the thing that led to good UX. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it, 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 it never anyway so i'm like it's not the it's hero here. the hero here is yeah. having good ux like that's what everyone wants is good ux but dx steals the show and that phrasing and it's just a, so anyway i'm mostly annoyed with it and i'm like it's just it's based on like these couple of paths like people will be able to look at this dx led to this. I'm like that's one path of a thousand that you'll take in building a product that has good ux mm -hmm. sure your dx led to good ux there Congratulations. Just don't praise that phrase. Like it's going to solve all of your UX problems. It is not yeah. the responsible party for good choices. UX focused individuals are the ones that make the good UX choices and yeah. can funnel those through DX and back around or whatever. So mm. anyway, I just think it's missing the point in a lot of ways. How do you feel about you know why? <laughs> you know why we hear so much about it? It's because the UX people have nothing to sell you, whereas the DX people have something to sell you. <laughs> You know what oh, I mean? Like there's a there's an Brutal. economic incentive that drives things. Yeah, DX is the hottest phrase to get your product recognized right now. That's for sure, huh? Do you think so? Do you think the term is tarnished now? Do you think it's so? No. <laughs> no. It's tarnished to me, but no, it's still hot as ever. Are you kidding? It's my it's in my title. It's my job it, title, yeah. by the way. So my my job titles literally had a developer experience. And I don't awesome. know if I want to associate myself so closely with this thing. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, dang. I mean, hey, dude, I associate myself with CSS. How many people want to do that? <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. Have I told I you CSS that is... I think that you and Yuna are like my, like, I, I idolize you guys so much because oh, no way. Being, being able to advocate for CSS, hello, like, um, <laughs> it, it's just, it's just, so first of all, you have to be good at, you have to be like really good at it. And both of you are actually really great. Uh, but also just you're advocating for something that everyone can use. So there's nothing to sell you. It's just like, you already have this and like 90% of you are terrible at it or like you could be better, you know, let's put it politically correctly. So, I mean, I think it's great. I, I CSS will be around longer than both of us will be around. And I think it's, 
no one can, I, I don't know. Every, everyone can always use a bit more CSS in their life. Oh, I need a CSS man. shirt, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could probably figure that out. I'll send you a link uh, later. This, which um, is funny, right? Like, you know, there, uh, there are like a hundred different JS comps and like maybe, I don't know if I've ever seen a CSS comp. There um, is, yeah. And I think it, uh, there was one, a really popular one for five years in Europe and it spread. There was like ones happening in other comp continents but it's i think kind of i don't know the conference scene is shaken up recently but yeah css is, is definitely underdog and all this stuff huh i mean I, I yeah so i mean i i was i was really encouraged when you joined um and and then you started putting out really good stuff and i was i just i think google does something right when you when you hire uh developer relations i don't know what it is but um every every person i see is is just stellar talk to dion almayer dion has um, I have an emotional was he responsible? prediction. Yeah. He's the one who saw me. Um, like I, anyway, yeah, he pretty much pulled me out of the team I was at and Google and was like, Hey, you want to do this over here in Chrome? And I was like, I idolize you all. I couldn't do that. And he's like, you're one of us. Would you like to be? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and he totally believed in me and um, gave me lots of chances and was, and yeah, I'm, and I think there's lots of, so he left recently a couple months yeah, ago. Yeah. Shopify. Shopify and um, you could tell um, he shattered people like there were people that were like Dion was like oh, no. a different person he was someone I was emotionally um, engaged with he has this amazing ability to listen and anyway what a what a great leader and manager he was um, and he had he has some sort of <sighs> skill I don't you you have to ask him how he knows ask him. someone um, and how he can judge people but yeah he's got a talent there you know, I had, so I went to Boulder recently and I think he is like kind of just, just outside Boulder or something. And I, yeah. I had lunch with him and he never, he's so humble. He never brings this up. He's just like, yeah, I, I like, I like tech. Like, you know, I, I, I think Shopify is cool. You know, and he never talks about like how he runs comp, comp, uh, his org and how he, how he thinks about hiring. Um, interesting guy. Interesting guy. Interesting guy. And he just carries his candor so well. Um, yeah. Huh. Um, but hey, back to DX as like a job title, I do think it's still important. I just, uh, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think the phrase does your job justice. Like it's making DX sound like it's only valuable if it is impacting UX. And I'm like, that's not the case. Yeah, you can empower you. developers to save hundreds of hours a week and it maybe never touches the UX. And who cares? You just still saved hundreds of hours. Like, why is the value of DX somehow hinging on its ability? Hang on, sorry, we're getting more ranty again. Why is, yeah. yeah just doesn't I'm like it's not doing it justice like it wants dx to be respected i'm like it already is so yeah. why push that this is like its best moment i'm like yeah whatever so um i think you know just just because you're you're interested in this uh i've been defining it in in maybe like four ways so the first is api design yeah. uh because um that is that everything is downstream of like, did you did you design the right abstraction, right? Like the same thing that you're you're doing with deferred inputs and stuff like that. Uh, and then second of all, docs for for that API, right? You have to um, be able to find. It. First of all, it needs to have full coverage. Everything that is in your API should be locatable, uh, and then it should be anticipatory. Like, tell me what I'm going to need before I know about it, uh, which is a high bar. I mean, I'm. I'm 
but like no i like I, that that's I, like visiting a docs page and it's already got my um keys in it like i don't have to go find my keys it knows i'm logged right. in looking at the docs and it auto fills right. them but right, yeah to me that's just like templating that's like templated docs i mean everyone can do that you know like it's, it's uh it is it is it is good uh, people do do enjoy that but i i always want to have an opinion like uh okay you know you have like two required options and five not required options, but this is recommended in these situations, and this is only for power users. Tell me that in the docs before before letting me go on uh, and figure it nice. out on my own. Uh, yeah. So this is what I'm trying to do with, with our docs. Uh, and then the last part is um, have I have I done four yet? Uh, the last part is no, you're community. At three. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So so there's there's developer relations, which is like traditional content creation, yes. like teach me how to do stuff, do tutorials, do meet uh, meetups, yep, and stuff like hype that. man. Hype it up. Hype man. Yeah. Uh, and then the last part is community, um, which uh, basically like, do you have a place to go to ask questions and how, how much, you know, uh, like, can you get a job in this? Is, is there like a training? Is there like career progression? Do I see myself identifying with this technology as a career? Like there are lots of technologies in, in our lives. There's only certain technologies that we choose to call to like, say like, I am a X developer. I am a React developer. That, that means something that is over and above just the, the particular library and framework that you, that you, that you use. Um, I don't know if I should do that. I don't know if I should be so expansive and say like, oh yeah, community is part of this too. But also it kind of is. So. It definitely is. Um, it's something that I tried and I still try to focus on by having open office hours, doing the AMAs. Um, I try to reach out and yeah, that's why I do conferences. I like to, dude, I don't think I can effectively do my job if I'm not connecting to the community, because otherwise I'm living in a bubble and I'm not putting shoes on that are uncomfortable for me. Like I need to be constantly putting on shoes of other people to have my own perspective uh, shaped well. And then it makes me a better educator. It makes me better at all those other roles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really healthy that's, that it's included. That's my, that's my uh, map of developer experience so far. And I'm trying to implement that. Awesome. Uh, that sounds very amicable, and it sounds like you have four pillars, and everything at Google ends up being in four pillars. So congratulations really? on Google. I like things to come in three. Thing. I like things to come in threes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, threes is a little more catchy, huh? Yeah. Wait, wait. So what, what's an example of a thing that that's four pillars at Google? Oh, let's see if I can. I don't know if I could remember one right now, but it's like anytime a leader is presenting like slides, <laughs> there's always there's always one slide that's got like four pillars of our beliefs or whatever. And you're just like, come on, this is just a template slide. Everyone slaps and they go, I can fill this with some crap. Uh, anyway. So we tease it every time we see it. We're like, there's the pillars. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, 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 this it is the whole thing lot, about yeah. draw the map, right? Like, like I want to know, like, where do I end? Cause if you just say it's all the things I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with that. But if I, if I've covered like the, the, the big macros, it's kind of like your, your meal, right? Like when you're, when you're eating, you want to make sure you're taking care of your big macros and, and you, you're roughly like, you're going to survive. <laughs> so nice. So, yeah. That's kind of how I think about it. Uh, should we talk about self-disruption? Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me about what this, what this is and what prompted it actually. Okay. Let's see what prompted it. Um, it's just something okay, about Adobe app, and like not innovating or was it Apple? That was just me making a comparison. Yeah, it was Apple and their new machines. It was um, um, Chris Coyer sharing a CSS Tricks article about alternative browsers based on Chromium that are offering unique and expressive experiences. It was me reflecting on Opera when they tried to do this with Opera Next as like a self-disrupted um, browser implementation. It was really cool. Um, 
like bubbles every time it was anyway it was pretty neat um and I just was like, started, I just started to think about it. I was like, in tech, okay, as like a, as a naive implementer, right? Because I'm pretty much swinging the hammer on the engine every day. Like I'm constantly in the house, making sure the door handles are shiny and open, easy. Like this is what I mean by like being a UX developer. Like I'm just going around and making sure uh, that it all flows. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, if we had tons of money and this thing was just so successful, you know what I would do is I would roll that all into like a labs team that made it so that I made the next generation of house. Like, let's quit hacking on these same houses. We all, okay, we have a great process and it's all hunky-dory, but at the same time, like we're outputting a factory looking thing. Um, and, and we seem to be happy and proud about it and we are, but I'm like, okay. So for me, I got really confused. I'm like, I would, if I had all this money and success, roll it entirely into disrupting myself into the next coolest thing because now I don't have to have the same stress as I did the first time. The first time when I made my product, I was fighting, right? And you were pushing, you had this ideal and this mentality um, and I'd want to live that again. And what I don't see happening is companies do that. I see Chrome browser, what is it, 10 or 15 years old? It looks kind of the same. It has a ton of new features under the hood, but I'm like, this is a very unexciting user experience, but that's probably fine. That's fine for a mainstream yeah. application. And yeah, you don't want to go to, so anyway, like I understand why um, it's risky to try to self-disrupt, but at the same time, I made the Adobe comparison with you. Cause I'm like 20 years of success of Photoshop. Um, and yet there's still like every three years, a new design tool popping up that turns everyone's head away and is almost it always feels next gen when it shows up sketch showed up everyone freaked out three years later we all freaked out over figma three years later we freak out over xd um and and yeah they're like they're disrupting photoshop but photoshop's not disrupting itself like why can't they just sit back and be like we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars and lots of developers let's pivot everything into like v2 of this thing and just rock it into the future you know like let's do what everyone actually wants instead of just repeating anyway so that that was the thought process and i was like why like sean why don't more people <laughs> roll their success okay because they do this in business right if you get a big fat success in your bitcoin output or what i don't know like you roll your money back into a bigger investment and you roll it again but they don't seem to do that with their products it's almost like it gets big they get rich they get um, not inspired anymore and their focus has changed and they're no longer in that mindset of building the best product. They're now in them. They're just in a new phase. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but you can be in the new phase and invest in like another disruptive phase. Right. Like now you have the funds for it. And so, anyway, that's what it's all coming from. Yeah. Um, a lot of thoughts on that. First of all, wasn't, so wasn't XD, doesn't XD count? Cause it's also from Adobe. <sighs> mm. I would argue it's a, this is so rude of me to say, it's pretty much a Figma clone. Yeah. And it's great. I love XD. And in fact, I like it better than Figma. Oh, you want always. them to innovate? But at the end of the day, okay. I want them to, okay, here's what I want Photoshop to do with all their money and all their fantastic developers is make an actual web design tool, like a real web design tool and stop messing around with 20 year old style gradient makers and all this old crap that you've been carrying around, like shed all that baggage, go something straight up web focused and just chew that crap off and just spec centric design tool something that actually like has html elements in it and, and helps designers facilitate something that is like more oriented towards a real thing um instead of continuing so that, to yeah so webflow like i mean <laughs> yes sure 
Yeah. So like, so Webflow okay. tried to dis disrupt the design market by building like a web centric and web focused and spec focused design tool. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm like, why doesn't Adobe look at that and go, okay, we need to do the same. We need to have uh, our own version of this with our name on it. We've got the funds, <clears> we've got the people like they have, see like from the outside, they have everything they need to do it. Like I look at Google the same way. I'm like, look at Chrome. Like they have all the money and all the people they need to make another version. That's just incredible. Um, and just, does something fresh, uh, but yet they're not. And so, yeah, I was mentioning to you, it's like ego just like to polish turds apparently. So I think that's just kind of what happens is your <laughs> ego grows and you're like, you, you're Smeagol. I think I think what happens is his success turns a lot of teams into Smeagols and they sit there and go, my, my precious. precious. Yeah. And they just, yeah. they just stroke the ring um, yeah. and don't do anything new with it or whatever. And I guess that doesn't make sense because they're not sitting on a pile of money. But anyway, you got what I'm saying. <laughs> what, Adobe's sitting on a pile of money. I, I'm... I'll definitely vouch for them for doing that. I think they're like a 200. When I last looked at them like five years ago, they're like a like 60 billion, like, like decent size. And now they're like 240 billion. And I'm just, wow. Uh, it's a, it's a great, like these, you, you think, you think, you know, these companies and then they, they just blow past any, any form of expectation. Um, okay. So wait, uh, a couple, couple things on this. Um, so one is, you know, I had a, I had a app that I updated, you know, there's a, I have 200 apps probably on my phone that I do not update. And you know why I don't update them? Because they may, they may change and I'm scared to change. They work fine for me right now. Um, and I updated one of them and yeah, now like the old UX is gone and I can't get it back. Yeah. Um, so sometimes like don't fix what ain't broke. You know, like if, if I rely on this for my living and, and my business tools, like it just makes sense to just keep it <laughs> for the yeah, users but, who, who are like very used yeah. to it. That that means something, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. uh, that lack of change actually is a feature sometimes. But yeah, I mean, obviously innovation is is helpful. Um, you did not want them to produce a Figma clone. I get it. Um, they're probably looking at building a, a Webflow or buying Webflow. Uh, it's both are both are po totally possible. But I don't think it's proven itself yet. I don't think like designers have like flocked to Webflow like they have to Figma. Um, They've been distracted with. Um... Yeah, design systems and components. Their design <laughs> tools are competing, competing in that space to you know make an API for all your tokens. If you make your artboards like this, put your squares like this, and give them a name, and you'll output an API. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're over there churning their wheels hard, uh, digging holes. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Well, so okay, and then there's also the fact that like, um, it. I think it takes a few years for a product to season. Um, yeah. And and like Photoshop, just, uh, you know, I think it's now like the, there's like the web version or like creative cloud or whatever, like that hasn't been that been around that long. And it takes a long time to reach like the mass population. Again, this, this is a whole concept of like, you're in the head, you, you evaluated all these tools when they came out, you're like, you know, the difference between them. Most people don't. <laughs> and most people like hear about them like five years after they're out, because like, that's, that's how long it takes to like hear about things, you know, from your friends and stuff. Um, so you're, you're wanting innovation at, at a pace that like most of the country or most of the, most of the industry doesn't operate on. So I just want you to norm yourself on yeah. like, um, cause you're at the cutting edge of a lot of things. Like, and maybe it feels like the companies are not keeping up to where you are, but also like there, there's two things. Like one, it makes business sense. Cause like you, you wrote the software, it's super expensive to write the software. You have to kind of milk it for a while. Uh, second, it takes a while for software to get out there and get get known by people, get used, and, and 
people build their careers on top of this thing. And then, then and then you don't want to change it because like now you know this thing and you're you're working on it just fine. Like don't don't take it away from me. So um, there's a uh, so Basecamp. Uh, do you, are you familiar with Basecamp? Um, yeah, I was an early user. Uh, our anyway, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they're one of those companies. So, so I think they probably closest model your approach where they're every new version they throw away the old code base. And you just rebuild from scratch on the first principles. Um, the old code base still runs, and any customer that still wants to stay on it can stay on it for for eternity. So I think that that's a really nice balance of it, disrupt yourself, but don't break the workflows of your the people who rely. Yeah, on I you. definitely don't want I don't want you know Chrome to stop making Chrome or Photoshop. To stop <laughs> yeah, making exactly. Photoshop. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting <laughs> roll your roll your excess money that's apparent, like obviously covering your bills and come up with something new um, and, and yeah, <laughs> what do you think? Do, fix all, fix all the things that you noticed uh, are wrong mm -hmm. after you've built this product. Cause naturally after you're done hardening a tool and building it, V2 looks so clear. And after you build V2, V3 looks so clear. Um, yeah. And so that's also the other thing. Cause okay. Like we have frameworks that update all the time and they kind of, yeah, I guess the old one always works. Like you just go get the old code, but um, yeah, I definitely don't want to see old versions, breaking i just want to see the um the original fire and spark of a team just trying new stuff with this excess funds it's just like i don't know mm. that's just what i would do i guess um there's a there's an old money effect you know once you made your major reputation major wealth whatever you're not as hungry anymore that's what i mean yeah that's what i was saying earlier i was like yeah, yeah. I just imagine I would still have the hunger and that's what I'm like, how come other people lose the hunger? Um, <laughs> um, okay. So uh, one more thing. So you, uh, you're just focusing on web design. You, you work on your own tool. Uh, would you ever spend that out? I mean, it sounds like you, you, you feel like there's a, there's a need here. Oh, Visbug. Visbug is uh, more like Firebug and dev tools than it is a creation tool. Um, like creating in the browser, it okay. really is something different than creating in a design tool. And it would need to facilitate some really different flows. So yeah, Visbug just uh, can inspect whatever is built anywhere. It's just like, oh, is there a web page here? I'll tell you everything I can about it. Just put me on the page. Um, but And it will allow you to copy and paste. You can hit Command D and duplicate. So if you want to see what your layout looks like with nine cards instead of three, just click on and hit Command D seven times. Uh, so it can help you like edit text and do this like chaos testing and, you know, stress testing. It can also change colors and delete stuff. I don't know. It does all sorts of things, but it is not a start from blank and begin. Although you can kind of cheat. Like if someone really wanted to flex Visbug, they could definitely do that because Visbug can copy styles off of anything you select. So you could go to a page, uh, copy the styles, paste them somewhere else. Like I have a tweet where I go to a web page. Oh. I go to web. Oh, you want to show it? I copy. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Here, let me see if I can find it. I, I like bringing things up on screen so that people can follow along. If they yeah, want that's to. cool. Uh, and also, uh, like you know, send people your way. But also, I think, um, yeah, you know, I wanted to publish to Netlify, and I never figured out the APIs because, like, basically, I had to. Oh do yeah, a we file. did. We were hacking on that together, huh? Yeah, I had to do file upload from extensions, and I could not figure out how to do that. I don't think I had the ability to do that. And the the Netlify thing only only allowed file upload. Um, so yeah, I kind of left it. I didn't. I didn't figure out how to do it. I just sent you um, one. There's a couple oh, you did? more. Okay, got it. Um, 
maybe I should just the code pen one because I just literally like in the code pen one I literally just like take HTML and CSS go to code pen and I paste them and it just works. Oh, love it. That that makes like that makes the web like remixable. You know, there's this whole yes uh, term um, here. Okay. I don't see anyone anything else that you sent me. So if you if you did, I didn't. I haven't see it. sent it yet. I'm trying to find the yeah, code. This is the one. one. So, Bisbug lifts and shift inline SVG. You click on the thing, and then you go to CodePen. Oh yeah, you paste it. Oh, this is the CodePen one. Oh, look, yeah. I just start a new CodePen. Oh, here it is. Great. Boom. Boom. Oh, that one just does the SVG though. Okay, so yeah, so that's one thing Visbug can do. You don't have to wait for like a. Um, a copy button on inline SVG. You could go to Netlify or Tailwind and all their rad SVG they have there. You could just go copy it. Just it's mine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't see the other one, but yeah, I went to web.dev and lifted a button. Oh yeah. I stole all of the button off of the page. I just took the HTML, I pasted it. I took the styles and I pasted it and I had the exact same button just in not the font because I didn't have the font imported. You see, that's a reusable button. <laughs> That's actually what I'm trying to tell designers to do is I'm just basically like, stop recreating the button in a design tool, go use your production website as an artboard. Ooh. You don't need to recreate the page anymore. Go to the product you work on and edit it and express yourself in a familiar way that you do in a design tool. Take a screenshot and tell the developers, that's what I want. Yeah, yeah, that that would be, that'd be next level. Yeah, um, cool, man. Uh, I mean that, that was that was about the the list of topics that we prepared, uh, and, I, and I wanted you to plug Visbug a bit, so I, I kind of oh thanks. I was like oh uh, this is nice that's coming up. <laughs> I know right. Um, but is there anything else you want you want people to you want to plug you want people to uh, like you know what's your what's your message to to people that you wish uh, if you could wave a magic wand everyone would do. Oh. Um, this which is um, the next time you're in TypeScript or in JavaScript and um, you're banging your head again, or maybe you're in Rust, maybe whatever language you're in and you're banging your head against it and you're stuck. Um, I want you to remember how you feel. And then next time it happens to you in CSS, don't be so frustrated. Just know that every language you work in, you're not perfect and you will plunk around like a bowling ball between the rails until you hit the end. And it doesn't matter what language you're in, you do the same thing in all of them. So CSS is hard. Um, and maybe people think it's below them because it's just boxes. Um, but some, you know, and maybe you think your math functions on the, you know, your server functions running on the edge are so cool, but it's all just a place where you're trying to get a task done and you're not a superhero. So you don't do it right the first time. And it's okay. It's very Bob Ross of you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you make you make some mistakes. It's okay. It's a happy little accident. Uh, and also, but also, uh, I would do on a feature that CSS just got a whole bunch of math functions, right? You can do some really rocket science -y things. Yeah, cosine and all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm not, I'm never using it, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll use much of it either. Maybe if I'm like doing a rotation and I'm trying to be fancy. Usually, I have to Google all the math stuff. I'm like, the math stuff is solved. You know, I want an arc. Okay, who's got the arc math? I'll go take it. Um, yeah. Nice. Gotcha. I do have two shows to pitch though. If I'm, I want to plug, I have plugs, yeah. which is GUI challenges on YouTube, on YouTube, um, where I, every yeah. month I release a blog post and a YouTube video that I explain and break down, um, a component that I build and I build it in an agnostic to any framework. I just sort of 
um, build it in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. I'm like, here, you can take this anywhere you want, any framework, go make it fit into your architecture. But here's the goals. You know, the goals are it needs to be interactive this way. And it needs to have this feature. And I talk about accessibility and how I do it. And then I open source the code. And yeah, I have a blog post that goes in really deep about it. Um, and I like that show. It's a good way for people to see that it's just thinking on ways to solve things. Like I don't think, I don't think people would be happy if there was only one way to do stuff. I think that's why the web is succeeding is it's weird and it's quirky. A URL could be anything at the end of it. When an app, you load an app and you're like, oh, I'm probably going to see bottom tabs. I'm probably going to see this. Um, and I think that's exciting. And so it's trying to empower people to um, just be okay with being expressive about how you want to do stuff. Like there's a lot of style that even goes into accessibility. Um, and people don't talk about that. They make accessibility sound like there's one way to do it. I'm like, I don't know. Every time I do it, there's different things and different smart little. So anyway, I bake a lot of that um, information into that show. And then the CSS, CSS podcast um, really makes, it illuminates the computer science behind CSS where we break down you know, uh, the functions that we, they're pretty much all pure functions. We talk about the functions that run client side um, and take parameters. They're just like JavaScript. Um, and they're typed, CSS is typed. You know, we go into the color as a type and sizes and lengths are types. And um, and anyway, I think it will help anyone with their perspective of CSS and feel more comfortable just sort of um, being in that world. So yeah, those are my plugs. Uh, thanks you really for letting do. me Wait, share those. Hang on, you said you had a second show. You had two shows. Oh, uh, it was the CSS, CSS podcast. Oh yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, I enjoy that. <laughs> I love I love how, uh, so Li Hao is uh, a friend of mine from Singapore and he does uh, the whole pick up what you put down thing that, that I preach, which is essentially he goes over and actually demonstrates show notes. And so he's learning it along, but everyone else can learn with him. So I really like it. Um, I have to admit, it's hard to follow when you mouth blog, but uh at least, at least I know, like, you see, this is a map, right? Like, here are all the things that, you know, the, the two CSS developer advocates at Chrome uh, thought it was worth knowing. And you covered the, the topics and you, you called out the things that you took for granted or maybe you, like, found out as you, as you covered the spec again. Like, this is super valuable. Thanks, Sean. And that's definitely what we do. That's a good description of a map. That's map and territories. Um, and we have more territories that are sort of un undocumented right now and we'll get those out sometime next year but um yeah we've got a pretty good coverage of core css in that show yeah it's really it's really great um all right perfect um thanks for thanks for doing this i know it's like kind of like an awkward thing and i know i really wanted to do an in-person thing and, and see your it's face be fun. And yeah your dogs. dogs dogs coming around and you can see all the <laughs> kids toys everywhere and all my plants i have a lot of plants um but oh, no, you'll amazing. see them later yeah <laughs> i'll come over sometime we have to do this um Seattle meetup. Um, but hey, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting. All right. I'm going to yeah, pause the recording now. Fun.